Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Out of the gates and ready to go. Outkick 360 underway. The Thursday edition across the Outkick Network. Hudden Withrow with you. Danny Cannell will join us in 20 minutes. We'll talk ACC headlines and where the conference will be in the near future with the TV revenue compared to other major conferences. And Chad, look forward to the discussion about Clemson, Florida State, wanting a bigger share of the pie. Danny's in 20 minutes. Plus, Armando Salguero from OutKick joins us from the NFL Combine. Plenty to discuss with uh, Armando there in Indy. And Trey Wallace in hour number three, SEC and more. Chad, good afternoon. Good afternoon. It feels like, and we'll ask Danny Cannell about this, it's more performance when you talk about the Florida State Board of Trust and what they're talking about and less about action that can be taken immediately because of that grant of rights agreement and how long it goes, but we'll see. Chad, uh, news in Indy with everything involving negotiations and agents talking with GMs, but the agent representing Lamar Jackson, of course, is not there because Lamar's representing himself. And there's a lot of buzz about what the Ravens will do if they can't get the contract worked out before next Tuesday's deadline for the franchise tag. They'll tag him. But the question is, will they trade him or keep him and do this again for another year? And I think normally in contract disputes, the star player generally wins out. But what is what is a win for Lamar Jackson? And specifically, what's a win for quarterbacks in the NFL? If, if quarterbacks across the league aren't rooting for this guy, uh, fans aren't rooting for this guy, um, thinking about where we could be five years from now based on the Deshaun Watson contract, which is fully guaranteed, and that's what Lamar reportedly wants and has stood there steadfast in those, in those ways. Baltimore has reportedly offered him $113 million. They then bumped that up last year right before the season to $133 million. But only a reported 68% of the contract is guaranteed. And I'm hoping that Lamar Jackson continues to hold out I'm hoping he resets the bar for quarterback compensation because while $50 million per year on average is great money, when you compare it to NBA MVP Giannis Antetokounmpo, five years, $228 million contract. Major League Baseball, we know the Mets payroll for the upcoming season is upwards of $500 million. And Lamar Jackson means as much to the Ravens as maybe – anyone across the league other than maybe five or six players, all quarterbacks. And I think for agents with boots on the ground in Indy, players, future players that are uh, having the job interview right now, everybody should be zeroed in on this to see what Lamar Jackson does as he represents himself because he's also representing the future NFL contracts where owners are not wanting to give up the power, not wanting to give up the non-fully guaranteed contracts that every player currently has, except for Deshaun Watson. And Lamar is sitting here going, pay me. Oh, and by the way, Rashad Bateman's firing back at Eric DaCosta for his comments over wide receiver play, saying he hasn't done a good enough job putting better wide receivers on the field 
And Bateman saying, hey, uh, why don't you show some respect to the guys who are there, including number eight, specifically Lamar Jackson. He since deleted that tweet. Point being, everybody in that locker room is on Jackson's side. That's clear based on the comments as the season ended with him on injured reserve. Chad, this is fascinating because we have the player who I think has played this the right way to get to this point, and he doesn't have an agent saying, take the $50 million per year like everybody else. Well, you've hit on it. It, it. Lamar Jackson, obviously, you know what he wants in all this. Every player in the league, we know what they want the outcome to be on this, that it's a holdout to lead to him getting a guaranteed contract. Every agent that represents a football player in the National Football League would want this to happen. So then I come to, okay, now who doesn't want this to happen? Every owner doesn't want this to happen. Probably every general manager, although they may not care as much about this. When they're just going to play within the rules of whatever's going on and whatever precedent is set. But I don't know that they necessarily want this. And I do have to ask the question to myself, what do you want as a fan? And I think there's two ways of looking at this. The NFL is not broken. Football as a whole is not broken because we all watch it and we can't get enough of it. And it's making more money than ever right now. And it's performing way better than these other sports that Hutton ran through that give guaranteed contracts out. So I don't think you, you try to fix something that's not broken. Now, from the player's perspective, it is broken. And Hutton was hitting on that. But I think from a league perspective, fan perspective, I wouldn't want to mess with something that's not broken. I do think part of the intrigue in football, right or wrong for the player, is that contracts aren't guaranteed. And you've got to play well to keep getting paid and get more and more money. I think it ups the competition level of the sport. It adds, right or wrong, a, a degree of risk to everything that you're watching, especially given the much higher likelihood that you're going to face an injury or multiple injuries over the course of your career and not be able to play. I think that adds something to the league. Now, the other side of this, if you're a fan, is you got to start asking the question, at what point does every top athlete in America just automatically as a child with knowledge of the contract structure right now go play baseball or basketball and completely stay away from football because of the injury risk and because of the fact that their contracts aren't guaranteed? Again, these guys are making a ton of money, especially oh, yeah. the quarterback. So it's not something I'm, where I'm, you know, we're I'm just not, comparing pro leagues. Yeah, I'm not saying that they're going to be in the poverty line anytime soon, but. If you want to play at the highest level of a sport and finances are a part of your motivation, are more and more kids going to go play basketball and baseball for that very reason? And the NFL starts to lose out on some great athletes because of that. Is there you know, a cause and effect with this years down the road that ends up negatively impacting the quality of the product, the NFL? I think we're years away from that. I just, I'm trying to look at it from just a viewer and a fan. I like the way it is right now. Um, I hope guaranteed contracts don't become a thing in football. We're going to talk about Charles Barkley with some comments about the NBA. We'll give examples of why the NBA is in part maybe broken because of these long-term guaranteed contracts. Baseball the same way is getting out of whack, and there's probably going to be a lockout at some point very soon because of all this. So I get it for Lamar Jackson. I get it for every player. I get it for every agent. More power to them. Go get what you can. I don't know that it's the best thing overall for the quality of the NFL if more and more guys get guaranteed contracts throughout. Well, and, and again, you hit on the fact that, yes, they are making good money. Uh, it certainly hasn't affected Patrick Mahomes' play that he's under a 10-year, $500 million contract. Um, I don't think it would affect Lamar Jackson's play either. I mean, that franchise is set up for his skill set. But for the 
future at the position and the money allocated to the most important position in that sport, they've, they've got to raise the bar instead of just saying, hey, here's 68% fully guaranteed and we're going to use this elsewhere. The cap's only going to move up now with the TV contracts and the revenue coming in. And those that are making the bank are the NFL owners. Consider that we're lauding the Big Ten for $100 million per season, guaranteed through their TV revenue, moving forward with the new TV contracts. NFL owners get upwards of $350 million guaranteed before they even kick off based on their TV revenue. And while that goes, a percentage of that goes to the cap, the vast majority of all revenue from game day is going to the league and going to the NFL owner. And that's where it's just not the same and the percentages are way out of whack. Well, look, if you were to tell me that this was going to stop with quarterbacks, that the guaranteed contract game would end at that position, and that just the top quarterbacks in the league are going to get the guaranteed contract, I'd be fine with that. I'd say, I'm well, signed up for that right it, now. It, I, I don't think the motivation issues... For other positions, but not nearly to the amount that the quarterbacks are going right. to. Right, but I, I, I will just say that I do think a part of what makes the NFL so great is guys legitimately show up, a lot of them, in their mind that they are going to get cut and make nothing other than what they've already made in a signing bonus or whatever it may be. Right. And that motivation drives guys. There's so many players on each team. I do think that helps the sport overall. It raises everything and raises the level of competition, unlike what we see with load management in the NBA. Right, yeah. And even baseball would just – baseball is more of a problem of the haves and have-nots. You know, the salary structure is so out of whack that there are just right. certain teams that will never have a chance and others that will always have a chance for that reason. So that's a separate issue. Um, I, I'm more intrigued to see where it goes more than anything else. I don't know that I'm a for or against anything. I'm just throwing out the questions about what would be best for the fan experience and the fans moving forward. But Lamar Jackson's got an interesting case in front of him, and he's got an interesting plea to say, I need to be the next quarterback to get guaranteed money if Deshaun Watson got it, and now we all get to sit back and see what happens. Ted, we're sitting back to see what happens as conference tournaments are underway in some leagues and about to get going next week in others. And in many cases, it's about the team going into the bracket, not the team that competed to be in position to be in the bracket, and you've got issue with that. This is one of my pet peeves every year, and I, I'm, I don't know that I'm in the minority here, but I don't hear a lot of people just trumpeting this over and over. Um, I don't care what a collection of ADs and school presidents and former coaches think about what a team can do in the tournament. That's for us to sit back and speculate by us, I mean everyone that watches basketball or hosts a show that has no say in where these teams are getting seeded. We can sit and speculate what a team looks like and are they equipped for a deep run in March Madness, all those things. We can sit back and do that. I'm very uncomfortable with the group that is in charge of selecting the tournament having any say or doing anything from a seed perspective based on what you're going to do. This is very simple for me. It is not what you are going to do. It is what you have done. This is one area where I want all human interest taken out of it. I want an algorithm to decide the seeds in the NCAA tournament. We were talking before the show today, talking about the net rankings. And the uh, one response is, well, the net ranking isn't the end-all, be-all. That's not it in terms of how we seed the tournament. My response to that is, why not? This is a computer system 
that looks at every single point, every single venue where that team has played over the course of a long season, wins, losses, margin of defeat, margin of victory, defensive efficiency stats, offensive efficiency stats, points per possession. They're looking at all of this with these computer models, and they are spitting out who are the most accomplished best teams in the country. I'm way more comfortable with that being the deciding factor. I understand a group has to organize the brackets to where the rules like you can't have a conference team play another conference team in the second round. You know, you got to avoid that in the bracket. I get how you have to slot that out and have the matchups a certain way. I'm all for humans going through that process, but I do not want to hear about an injury or about what a team looks like going into the tournament. To me, it is very simple. What have you done throughout the course of the season? If that, if what you have done warrants this seed, then you get that seed. Buddy of ours, Steve Lehman with Channel 5, responded to something I put about it's best for the SEC if Auburn wins on Saturday because that will give that, them another tournament team. Yeah, they're They'll in. They'll get them in. And it will knock Tennessee to a Thursday game in Nashville, and that's a guaranteed good gate for the SEC tournament on a Thursday, where otherwise right now Tennessee's not playing until Friday, right? And you know the response was, and I'm not blaming Steve for this, he's right. This is how the committee will view it. He said, but if Tennessee loses, then loses on that Thursday to a bad team, they're going to go down two seed lines because yes. the committee's going to look at them and say, well, they're just not very good without Zakai Ziegler. And I just hate that. I hate that a late season or any point in the season injury the snapshot. dictates what the committee sees in you and then punishes you seed lines because of that. Look, you take into effect the games they won and lost throughout the year with anyone. So Tennessee goes one and two without their starting point guard. Okay, great. That factors into the whole pie and where you're going to slot that team. But don't tell me because someone has an injury or because they look this way in the conference tournament or they lost five of their last eight. Well, we're going to dock them now this because we don't, our precious brains don't think they can make a run and that they're worthy of this seed line. No, take your precious opinions out of it. Give me the data. Show me exactly what's happened throughout the year. And let's make decisions based on that. In fact, let's take the humans out of it and let the computer make the call on who's going to be in the tournament oh, and where the, they should be. But the computer can't seed uh, Kentucky and – it won't happen this year – Kentucky and Louisville to play in the second round. They it, can't force those head-to-head matchup and rivalry matchups, which are slotted for that reason. Yes. It's not by you know coincidence Look, and how I, they, how I they think, match these – or coaches, former yeah, coaches against a former team. I think that's BS too. But what I'm saying is if, it's, if Kentucky's a six and you know not this year, but Louisville's a three, right, right. and you want to put them in the same region as a legitimate six and three to go head-to-head, I'm more okay with that than coming back and then saying – Than making Kentucky a six when they're really a five they in order back to have saying, that matchup. Hey, you know, I just don't think this team is that good because this guy's hurt – so I'm going to dock them a couple spots. No, you don't get yeah. to decide that. It, it's your body of work. It's what you've done. That's what you've earned or what you've worked your way into for the NCAA tournament seeding. Give them a seed. Give them whatever matchup you want. If you want to get cute with the second-round matchups with some in-state matchup you don't normally see a rivalry game, fine. But let's make the seeding legitimate. And don't tell me about what your opinion is of what the team's going to do, especially when you're the selection committee. And they go into these conference tournaments really – the bracket's kind of filled out. You have runs, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, teams win their way in. But we've seen but different it's not, years. It's also off yeah. and on. There are years where things happen in a conference tournament that you could tell clearly shook up the seeding and what happened in the tournament. And like last year, it didn't matter at all. 
Uh, Rick Barnes said afterwards that we should have just sat everyone in the SEC tournament and allowed Texas A&M to win to get the SEC another team in if it wasn't going to impact us one way or the other. That's what teams might look at now. If, if all you're concerned about is the NCAA tournament, you do that. Now, I will also say, if you are worth your salt in anything, you're going to win. You don't go into a game or a tournament thinking, hey, uh, let's just play half our guys and you know play a little pickup game in the backyard, and if we lose, yeah. we lose. No, you play to win the game. You go into it hoping to win, but I think there are probably teams who will be less upset about losing in the conference tournament based on the big tournament that will happen one week later. Clemson and Florida State upset. They're not getting a larger share of the revenue from the ACC. We'll discuss that topic and more within the conference. Danny Cannell joins us next on Outkick 360. What's up, everyone? It's Nick Wright, and I got something exciting to talk to you about today. Angie, your ultimate destination for getting all your jobs done well. Now, Angie isn't just your average home services marketplace. It's a game changer with over 150 million homeowners served and a network of over 200,000 skilled pros. Angie has experience and expertise to tackle any project with ease. Whether you're looking to spruce up your backyard or undergo a major home renovation, Angie's got your back. And their pros are locally based, often running small businesses right in your community. And here's the best part. Angie makes the process seamless. From researching and comparing pros to scheduling services at your convenience, Angie's user-friendly platform puts you in control. So why settle for anything less than perfection when it comes to your home? With Angie, you can trust every project will be completed with the utmost care and professionalism. So get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today to discover why homeowners across the nation are turning to Angie to get all their jobs done well. Danny Cannell will join us in a matter of minutes. Outkick 360 rolls on. Sixth and Peabody, our location with Eha Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Um, Cannell is seminal. So is Deion Sanders. And Chad, it didn't take long. Uh, Deion, he's under fire uh, at Colorado through the Freedom, Freedom From Religion Foundation. It, it advocates for atheists and non-atheists. Uh, uh, non-atheist clearly doesn't understand the, uh, the, the First Amendment where he's praying with his team. We know this because the Supreme Court upheld uh, the high school coach that lost his job because of the routine of praying on the field. Um, he's under fire through a letter to the university, and the, the university responded to the group in a letter stating that Sanders underwent some form of training for this and came away from it with a better understanding of the University of Colorado's policies and the requirements of the Establishment Clause. They've since uh, had other organizations write letters on behalf of Sanders, and I can tell you this, Dion won't stop. Look, I, I might... Prime should not. No, not at all. He shouldn't sh stop. And I, I'm, I may, you know, piss off the algorithm here with what I'm about to say. Uh, the Freedom From Religion group, yeah, yeah. I have never, ever understood someone being passionately atheist. Yeah. You passionately don't believe there's any higher power. Like, I don't understand a passion behind that. Like, wh what are you protecting people from? If you believe there's nothing and you're an atheist, 
What do you care if other people believe other things exist? What a weird organization. I hear all these stories about letters written from the freedom from religion. I'm thinking, you must really deep down believe there is a higher power if you're so concerned about other people believing in God in a higher power in some way. Or displaying it. If you're going to do that and be worried about them displaying it and believing it, clearly you believe something is up. <laughs> I'm not going around th- you know, talking about people who don't believe in anything, trying to protect people from don't, who don't believe in anything because they believe in nothing. So if you believe in, you can't passionately right. believe in nothing. You just don't believe. I, I don't. But, I've never understood this. And you know the public and why university. They, would care. they he's, well, it's he's, protected by the Supreme Court. Of course, now, so. yeah. But they they re- received a response from the university for their letter about Prime, and Sanders isn't going to stop. But no, we nor, nor the, should he. We mentioned the Florida State connection. Danny Cannell joins us on Outkick Three Hundred and Sixty. Danny, always great to have you on, man. And we. Mentioned you earlier this week because we wanted to get your perspective on Florida State and Clemson, and they're seeking a larger piece of the pie of the revenue split. I don't know how Jim Phillips goes about this or responds to this, but this is what is going to keep the ACC together, I would guess, based on the money of the other two power conferences. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Great being on with you guys. Love catching up. Um, Florida State, Michael Alford basically kind of just rattled the cages a little bit, right? That's what he did last week when he was talking to his board of trustees. And I think he knew exactly what he's doing. I think he was very calculated uh, in his comments. And I think he brought up some great points. And basically, you mentioned Jim Phillips, the commissioner of the ACC. I think that's what Michael Alford was trying to do, was trying to really start the conversation sooner rather than later and kind of put it on the table and put the ball in Jim Phillips' court and say, okay, and the, the line that resonated with me from Michael Alford was things cannot stay the same or else not only Florida State and Clemson, who have the best chance to stay competitive, but no one is going to be able to stay competitive in the ACC at the current rate with the SEC and Big Ten completely leaving them behind financially and college football, college athletics, but specifically college football. It's an arms race. It's a spending race. And when you have deeper pockets, you're going to be able to spend more money. You can't sustain that deficit every single year. So now Jim Phillips has to go look at it. And I think his biggest challenge, because I think if Jim Phillips had his druthers, he'd say, you know what? You guys are right. Let's figure it out. Let's go ahead and we'll just we'll just start divvying up. We'll give you guys a greater percentage than Boston College is going to get and that Syracuse is going to get. And we want to keep you happy and we're going to keep your coffers full that so you keep you can keep being competitive and being one of the top, you know, programs in the country. But he also represents Boston College, Syracuse, Wake Forest, you know, some of the teams that maybe don't make as much and bring as many eyeballs and bring as much revenue to the conference and value to the conference as Florida State and Clemson. So, it's a very very tricky situation that Jim Phillips is dealing with. I spoke with Michael Alford this morning. And I was pleasantly surprised at how much he he was heaping praise on Jim Phillips. He said, we have the right guy in charge. I think he can help us figure this out. But he did not waver in the something has to change statement that he made. And I think he would love to see it happen sooner rather than later. You know, we're, all eyes right now are out west on the Pac-12, and rightfully so. They're the ones looking for a media deal. They don't have a good one right now. It doesn't look good for the Pac-12. Uh, Brought this up yesterday. I'd love to get your opinion on it, Danny. ACC is fine right now because they have that long-term grant of rights deal. 
But I do think if we're talking about this game of musical chairs, clearly Big Ten SEC are at an advantage right now financially. And we all believe they're going to add teams. So while I believe your alma mater, Florida State, you know, North Carolina, Clemson, uh, you know, n- go through some others at the top of the ACC will be fine because there will be a spot for them when either the SEC or the Big Ten adds. I do think that we're probably sleeping on the ACC as eventually going to be in a problem very soon when some of these other schools get cherry-picked, right? So what do you think about where the ACC is right now in relation, specifically not comparing to Big Ten and SEC, but in relation to the Pac-12 and the Big 12? I mean, isn't it kind of crazy how the Big 12 feels like it's in such a better place than it was when Oklahoma and Texas announced they were leaving? But it, they had the advantage. It feels like, the like they're going to absorb the best of the Pac-12 outside of Washington, Oregon, to me. Like, they're going to be in a does. position to do that. And they are, like, so Oklahoma and Texas leaving, it was the worst thing that happened to them, but it also was the best thing that had happened first in this recent restructuring because it allowed them to go out and bring the best brands available with UCF, Cincinnati, Houston, and BYU. So they snatched those schools up, and those are attractive schools that you can present to a TV network, which the Big 12 did, and it was why they are in such a better place financially. And yes, I think Brett Yormark is going to probably, like you're talking about, probably go after some of those best brands. And I do think the the kind of the rumors that are out there, the four schools are the two Arizona schools, Arizona, Arizona State, Colorado and Utah. And, you know, I, and I, I think it's really interesting because I, you know, Deion Sanders, I heard you guys talking about him just for a minute. He brings some value to that program, but it is a program that used to in the nineties, won a national championship and it had a brand and it's got a portion of the country that adds value to the big 12. So I wouldn't be surprised if that happens. Although I do think Oregon and Washington are better nationally recognized brands. Those two, but those schools, especially Oregon, who we're hearing that Phil Knight, and this was a year ago, is cold calling the Big Ten saying, let us in. We want in. Like They do feel like a better fit for the Big Ten. Ultimately, I am very concerned in the near term about the Pac-12's viability. Like, Is this a conference that is on life support, especially when you consider the additions they're thinking about making? And this is no offense to these schools, but like when you hear San Diego State and SMU and then there was a tie-in with Rice. And I'm like, wait a second. The Pac-12 could feature these programs, and that's what they're going to package and try to sell? It's not long-term sustainable. And I think you're seeing the direct result of that as these negotiations. I mean, it's been an embarrassment for George Klyovkov. As some of these numbers come, not the numbers, but like when you hear uh, Apple's backed out of the conversation and some of these networks, I can't even recall the name of the network, like the last one they were meeting with. Like Ion or something. Yeah, Ion, and you're like, wait a second, what what are we talking about? It does not look good for the Pac-12, and I think they're most vulnerable right now. But as you mentioned, if the ACC does not figure out something with this, you know, TV deal, it's one until 2036, they're going to find themselves in a very similar situation, which is why I do think like one of the suggestions. So Michael Alford puts forward this, you know, revenue share model that you know has. Um, it's representative of, you know, Florida State brings more to the conference so they get a bigger piece of the pie. Same with Clemson, Miami, North Carolina, BC, some of the lower tiers, they get less of the pie because they don't bring as much value. That is one proposal that Jim Phillips can look at, but that's going to be hard to convince those other schools. But at what point does Jim Phillips, who really has been dealt a bad hand as the commissioner, this is not his TV deal, he inherited this. 
At what point does he go to ESPN and say, look, we got a serious problem. Like how much do you value the ACC? Because if you do, it's in everyone's best interest to get a new deal done. And how does Jim Phillips present value? Greg Sankey always talked about that. He's been a genius. And it's one of the reasons like when he got Oklahoma, Texas, that's bringing value. There aren't many brands you could bring to the table that bring value to the ACC. But can Jim Phillips say the value is long-term sustainability? We want to see the conference survive because if we don't, it's going to be gone. And yes, while if you're ESPN, you could absorb Clemson, Florida State into the SEC, maybe another school. Like, what about the loss of all that other um, inventory from the ACC? What about the basketball, Duke, North Carolina? What about some of the basketball traditions that are there with Syracuse, Pitt? Can he sell them on that so that ESPN comes back to the table and says, you know what? You're right. We need to do what's best for the long-term viability to ACC. Because I have I worry about the the conference surviving this round of, of realignment. Danny Cannell, our guest on OutKick 360. What if Jim Phillips takes the the Big Ten job that's open? I know, you know, and then I am very the relationship that, that he has <laughs> with Florida State and Clemson and everyone else. Yeah, I'm, well, so he's he you know he obviously has ties being a Northwest at Northwestern before he came to the ACC, and when when Kevin Warren announced he was leaving, everybody assumed it was going to be Jim Phillips, like he was the guy and he was the most qualified, most connections, and it made a lot of sense. And for whatever reason, it's been it's cooled off, like. I haven't heard anybody talking about this and there's been an empty chair for what are we on a month or two now? And this yeah. is one of the best jobs in all of college sports. So I also wonder like what's going on in Jim Phillips mind. I, I do think I've had, you know, a couple, you know, text exchange with him. I do think he enjoys the ACC. I think he would love to see the conference survive. And I think maybe he looks at this as an opportunity to, to create a legacy. Like you already, if you go to the big 10, the TV deal is already done. Like you don't have much to do until the next one. And if you're in the ACC, if you could somehow keep this conference intact and keep Florida State and Clemson in and keep everybody bought in and maybe possibly bring some value somehow to the ACC and ESPN and save the conference, talk about like a a legacy-defining move. That could be what is on the table for Jim Phillips. And I do think he's the right. I am glad that he's the guy that is dealing with this problem. Because I do think he's one of the best commissioners that's out there. So momentum is a very real thing in college sports, especially in college football. And to gain the momentum, you also have to capitalize on the momentum. And I'm fascinated with your state, Danny, in terms of capturing momentum when you are competing for recruits, not necessarily against your, your rival in, in conference, but with Florida State, Miami, and Florida. And how important is it if you are Florida State and Miami right now, specifically Miami with a tough year, but with a newer coach, to capitalize on some of the lack of momentum and not so great headlines around the Florida Gators program this offseason? Do you feel like those two programs are capturing some of that momentum? And how important is that in a state like yours that's just so competitive? I mean, we've seen all three of these programs like on an absolute roller coaster the last 20 years, you know, like all of them have oh, had yeah. their ups and it's, it's been a while since Miami has had theirs. I know they had the 10 win season under Mark Richt and that was, you know, but that was short lived. And that's what I'm hoping does not happen with Florida state. Like this past 10 wins, even is short lived Florida Gators have had their share of success. And then they feel like they're, you know, trying to get things turned around. It's all about the momentum and you have to capture it. 
And then you have to sustain it so that it's not this roller coaster ride that so that you can capture and maintain it like Florida State when it was on the 90s when you had 14 years in the top uh, five. And like when you're Miami and you're rattling off five national championships and you're just a straight juggernaut heading straight to the top or like Florida when they had the Tebow years and Urban Meyer and and, and before that, the end of the Spurrier uh, years when they were just a consistent staple at the top, you know, 10 in the in in the final rankings. But it's a lot easier said than done. And like, so right now, I think it's pretty obvious. I'm not, I'm not being a homer here. Florida State has the most momentum and they've been able to maintain it by getting guys like Jared Verse to come back, by having Jordan Travis as a preseason Heisman favorite, and by, you know, really, you know, hitting the transfer portal yet again, really strong. Miami and Florida are in a completely different aspect. You mentioned Florida's offseason, which has been an embarrassment for the university with the Jaden Rashada mess that went down. And now you're seeing Billy Napier having to, you know, clean up a mess, which is one of the problems with NIL. Like it's not his fault that a collective screwed up this deal, couldn't come up with the funds and then, you know, reneged on it. And all of a sudden Jaden Rashad is gone. Like that's not Billy Napier's fault. And yet he's the one that's the face of the program where some of this dysfunction that's happening outside is going to fall squarely at his feet and potentially cost him his job if he doesn't get it turned around. So he's got significant issues. And then Miami, who you know had a really rough year with Mario Cristobal, now they're replacing three coaches, two coordinators, both offense and defensive coordinators, one of their better recruiters in Charlie Strong. And it wasn't exact, it wasn't like a slam dunk recruiting season or a transfer portal season. Like this is Florida State's time to fill that void. And this is when I think that's what you have to do is you kind of have to take advantage of it. When the other schools are down, you got to maximize it. And I think that's what Mike Norvell is trying to do. And it has nothing to do with the rivalry or trying to kick them while they're down. It's just the ruthlessness of being in a state that has this much talent and fans with this many expectations on it. Danny, it feels to me like college basketball is kind of a sport of convenience in the state of Florida. If you're good, you care and you get into it. And if you're bad, you just kind of check out and, and wait for football Spring season. Ball. You've got Florida State uncharacteristically awful under Leonard Hamilton this year. you got Florida with a new coach. They're not going to be in the NCAA tournament. Miami's really good. They're going to be in the tournament. But am I, is that fair in my characterization of the, the thoughts on college hoops in, in your state? Yeah, I think so. Uh, you know, Florida definitely has advantage with the back-to-back cha- -back championships yep. they had in the 2000s, and they probably have the best basketball brand. I'd say they have a fan base that probably cares the most even more than Florida state or Miami fans, but yeah. And it's been a rough one for Leonard Hamilton. He's dealt with some injuries and it's been his worst year so far, but it's not like you're worried about him. I do think Miami who's bought some pretty good players and you're starting to see some results. You could see them maybe be one of these teams from the ACC, which is down, make a deeper run in the tournament. But I think you nailed the assessment of college basketball in the state of Florida. It's, yeah, if they're good, we'll get behind them. We'll back them. We'll provide a good atmosphere if they're in a late run and it's you know coming down the stretch. But it's pretty much an afterthought. I'm sure those coaches, the basketball coaches, wouldn't appreciate me saying it. But I think they, even if you caught them, you know, off the record, they would admit as such and say, you know what, we'll take the brand of the football schools and we'll take the leftovers because it's still pretty good existence. And a lot of times. You know, you're not on the hot seat. You're not a Kentucky. You're not a Louisville. You're not a Duke. So you can have a down season and it's not the end of the world and there's no panic and you don't have to worry about fans calling for your name and worry about you getting fired.
Denny Cannell, our guest on Outkick 360. Mark Emmert officially out. Charlie Baker is in. Two years from now, is Charlie Baker relevant in the conversation of realignment, TV contracts, rules and regulations for name, image, likeness? Where is he going to take it that Mark Emmert couldn't? I, I, I do not envy Charlie Baker. I think it's an impossible task. It just yeah. feels like the, the, the way that the sport has changed drastically. And yeah, in the last two years, it's been the biggest, quickest change we've ever seen with Transfer Portal opening up and NIL you know, being legal. But it's been a slow churn for the last 50 years. Um, you know, I, I was looking back and there was Mark Richt when he took the job, I think at Georgia, he was making a million bucks and it was a big deal. And now we're talking like how far we've come in just 15 or 20 years. The, N the NCA, it's kind of, they're just, and maybe that's a good thing. Maybe they go back to doing what they were supposed to do originally, a nonprofit that basically hosts the championships and really watches over administrates the rules and regulations on the field of play for yeah, football and basketball, but more for the non-revenue sports, baseball, you know, uh, you know, lacrosse, soccer, mm -hmm. all this, all the things that they've claimed to be. And yet they've been able to just, you know, fill their pockets with all the money they've been in. Maybe they go back to being a little bit more of a, um, you know, kind of the organization we thought they were going to be, because as much as I would love to, sit here and tell you Charlie Baker can save the NCA. I just think the sport. And when I say the sport, I say football and basketball have passed them by. They'll still be, they'll still, you know, the NCAA tournament, I guess is the one thing you could hang your hat on, but eventually they're probably going to have to give the players a piece of that pie as well. If you look, you know, if you read the tea leaves and listen to the Supreme court in some of these cases, they don't have much of a legal leg to stand on. So I think they'd be better served to stop fighting it and to start looking at other options. And I, I, I'm curious to see what you guys think, because I think there is a world that we could be in where if we get two super conferences or three super conferences, and maybe it's the top 50 schools where they're really professional athletes, is there still a place where amateurism, the student athlete, where you are happy with a scholarship and playing football still survives? Because I think that could be on the table sure. too. And maybe that's what the NCAA runs. And it's, sort of those schools that are not in those top 50 schools that survive and make the money and compete at the highest level. Maybe there's a still a amateur model that can work. I'm fascinated to see that. Yeah. I'm with you. I think Chad would agree with that. Yeah, too. And I think it's a mix of both. I think even with a super conference, they still go to school, but it's a combination of pay allotment, a kind of a salary cap structure, different regulations with the schools, but they're also athletes. I mean, yeah. there's also students and athletes at the school. You could get the scholarship and get, some money on the side, and it all be kosher. And then you have the have-nots who would be over everyone's being underneath the uh, like I was, NCAA umbrella. You know, I, was, I went down. I, was, I had a nephew who was working out, and I went down to FIU, you know, which is yeah. in the Conference USA. They don't make a lot of money. And, you know, I was talking to uh, a couple coaches, and they're like, I'm like, how, what do you guys, how do you guys fit in this landscape? NIL, you know, where there's not a lot, there's not a big market for FIU, you know, players. Um, paying the players. What is your budget? Like, how can you afford as an athletic department where if you paid attention to what Butch Davis said when he left, like they were handing down pads and using used shoes and stuff like they do not have an athletic budget that could fund, you know, paying the players the way that other schools could. 
And they were like, man, we'd be the perfect team. Let's let, we would love to survive. And maybe we could, we could be the place for the player that is not good enough to go play at the sec or big 10 and be playing for big money, but we could survive and we would have people lined up to play for us. That's the thing. Like we've, We've gotten this place and we had some language that I didn't love that really said how players were exploited. And, and some of that is true, but that term exploitation, it was such a hot button word that I wasn't comfortable with because I do think there's a lot, there's so many college athletes who are happy to be playing a sport and get an education in return. So I do think that is a model that could survive in some capacity. And maybe that's what the NCAA looks at and thinks outside the box and says, okay, Here's how we can sustain these programs. Because if you don't, you're going to see a lot of programs have to shut down their football programs because they won't be able to afford to pay the players. Danny Cannell has been our guest, CBS College football analyst, Sirius XM host. Always a great conversation with you, man. Always. We appreciate the the, the time you always give to, to 360. You guys are the best, man. I'm headed off to the Combine tonight, interviewing nice. the top five quarterbacks tomorrow. Can't wait for that. Word of caution I'll leave you with before I go. To not get caught up in the hype of the QBs who look great in shorts and a t-shirt. And when they get on the scale and they can throw it versus air, don't fall for it. We always do. You mean to tell me Anthony Richardson won't go number one overall this year? Is that what what (laughs) I'm hearing right now from you, Danny? No. no. I mean, you guys know the two guys I'm talking about are Will Levis and Anthony Richardson. Yep. And the tape isn't great, but man, their workouts are awesome. (laughs) I just, they, they, they come with a massive warning. I do think there's higher upside with uh, with Anthony Richardson, and there's a, a better floor with Will Levis, but I wouldn't want either one of them in the first round. I'd rather have a Hendon Hooker in the second round or a Jay Kaner in the third round, a quarterback from Fresno State. Mm. Get me my value and let me turn those guys into something special rather than spend a top, top 10 pick on guys that we don't have any idea what they're going to be at the next level. Great stuff, Danny. We look forward to those interviews as well. Absolutely. Thanks, Danny. Awesome, man. Thanks for having me on. Always a great time. Thank you. Danny Cannell has been our guest. Uh, Always uh, a great conversation whenever he jumps on with us. Um, Whenever Charles Barkley speaks, we listen. Yep. Is the NBA broken? Yes. But we'll let Charles tell you that next. Now kick 360. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Tickets to a prime sporting event are not cheap. NBA, if John Morant's in town, if LeBron is visiting your city, you see tickets upwards of $200 per seat. And you wouldn't know that they're sitting out due to load management until maybe as you're on your way to the game itself. Charles Barkley waited on that recently on First Take. 
Is load management in today's NBA a big issue for Sir Charles Barkley? It's a huge issue. You know, Adam, and I love Adam. He's a great so guy. I. He's a great commissioner. So do but I. But I think what, what happened is I think he kind of went overboard trying to take care of the players. He's like, well, you guys don't want to do back-to-backs. We're going to kill most of the back-to-back. Now they get like a whole week for All-Star games. So he's trying to do everything possible to get these guys rest. You know, Stephen A., I don't think fans get mad. If you're making 30, 40, 50 million dollars, if you play basketball every night, but you can't make 30, 40, 50 million dollars and then sit out games. I think it's disrespectful to the game. I think it's disrespectful to the fans. Because like I say, these fans are paying their hard earned money. And like I say, especially, you know what's going to be crazy? In this next TV negotiating deal, we're going to have guys making 70, 80 million dollars a year. And they're going to be saying, wait a minute. You're going to make $70 million and you can't play basketball three or four days a week with all the stuff. I mean, they fly private. They got the best medical stuff ever created. And I says, you can't disrespect the fans making $70, 80000000 million and say, you know what? I can't play basketball four days a week. I mean, listen, it ain't like we should working in a steel mill, brother. I mean, if people working in a steel mill every day, I'm pretty sure they tired too. But they go to work every day. So, yeah, I think load management is a big deal. And they go on to say they don't really know how to fix the issue. And I don't have a great response to it either. However, the TV networks absolutely do because in 2020, the league mandated that if it's a nationally televised game, you can't lean on load management. I believe the Spurs were known for this. Of yep. course, LeBron has been doing this for years. But, you know, you, you had a situation where the stars were not on the nationally televised games in some cases on Sunday afternoon. And ABC complained about it. I would too. The fans. That's another way to look at it. What teams are losing out on. It's not the home games. It's the road games where LeBron's coming into town for those markets. I get the issue. I don't know how to fix it completely. And the problem is because the commissioner, number one, Adam Silver says he doesn't see an issue with load management recently on All-Star Weekend, which is absurd. And two, the players run the league anyway. So if the players want to do it, they're going to be able to do it. Period. And that's just the, that's what sucks about the NBA. Yeah. It, Charles Barkley had said something at one point, maybe in this interview also, where he said something like, you know, t- tell the load management issue, tell that to a coal miner. Yeah. You know, try, try explaining that to the, the, you know, family of four that spends their money that's not making much at all to go to a game because they want to take their kids to go watch their favorite player and that favorite player doesn't play. I think one of Charles Barkley's superpowers. And super strengths is that he has a ton of empathy and he truly cares about people and he can relate to all kinds of people, including the fans. And he can see things through their perspective. That's a great example of it right there with his assessment of load. Man, he's not just looking at it as a, as a player. Yeah. He's looking at it through the lens of everyone and he's given a great opinion. And it affects the product when he's given his yeah. honest assessment of that too. The product of college football, NCAA, they've released a statement about Texas A&M. That's next. <laughs> 